Hey guys, welcome back. It's Chris Bircher, and this is Knowledge Plus Experience Equals Wisdom, or at least another attempt at testing that mathematical theory. So this is episode 27. Um, make sure that's right. Episode 27, and I'm going to call it The New American Dream. And this is inspired by something I think about quite a bit. I've said a few, few times on here, and that is that youth is wasted on the young and retirement is wasted on the old. <laughs> and what do I mean by that? Well, it's like when we're young, we don't really know. Uh, we haven't developed our, um, we haven't been able to develop our, our, our spirit and our direction. And, and that's what youth is for. Uh, and I'll argue that we're unable to do that um, in as pure a way as I would like because we're so influenced by our parents and our schools and the people around us. And, and in America, you know, I say this is the American dream. That's just because that's where I live. It probably applies to most sort of quasi-European, white, modern society BS. Um, and then the flip side of that is, you know, you work you know, in your youth, you figure something out so that you can do with your life and you end up working so that you can retire uh, and then enjoy some of your time. But by the time you do that, you're older and things have changed and maybe you have different dreams and different ideas and maybe you're just tired and you want to sleep all day and watch TV, which is what my parents do and what I see a lot of old people doing. Or you're... um one of the old white men that I've been surrounded by in my life who can't retire because you don't know what the hell you do with yourself because your entire identity has become wrapped up in your <laughs> career. So, you know, cutting right into this episode, you know, the American dream, which I've said before, and what just, just you know, it, it boggles my mind that all of us aren't walking around every day, you know, looking at each other in the streets and go going... Can you believe what we, you know, had to do? Can you believe it? You know, these, like, when when do we realize that we're born into a society, you know, and, I, and, and I'm talking, again, you know, quasi-European white America dream where you got to do well in school, so you get to a good college, so you get a good job, so you marry the right person, so you have 2.1 kids, so you have the white picket fence, so you have the five-bedroom house and the pool and the vacation to the beach once a year, and, and you got the right car, and, and then you, you got the right job that makes you enough money to where you can have a 401k, and then one day when you're tired of working, you can stop working, but you can't afford to pay your bills because you worked so hard. You have this nest egg retirement fund that you can then ride out and um, you know into the sunset. Uh, and and so many of us, and especially in my you know in your thirties and forties, um, realize that that's a crock of shit. <laughs> you know, by the time we're midway through this this dreamscape. Of doing, you know, and this is the successful people, like the people who have, you know, have have followed this path, find out that you know maybe they didn't. This isn't what they wanted, or you know they they're finally getting the fruits of their labor, and the fruits don't really taste that good. And and then you sort of think, where did I learn to do this in the first place? And I know I'm. This is kind of like, I guess, white privilege, but more more so, sort of that like. Um, First world problems, you know, like all these people with tons of money and great jobs whining about, you know, how hard their lives are. Then that's not what I'm talking about. I'm, I'm talking, you know, I, I don't really know. You know, I, I, I was, I didn't go to jail when I was 15 and be in prison for 20 years and get out. I'm sure that's way harder than what I'm talking about. And to some people, this American dream might just seem like 
such a the most wonderful thing in the world that we all kind of get sold on that uh, we think it is but what I'm telling you is it's not <laughs> you know use your unique experience to have your own dream and and in part part of part of me and I've said this before as an example part of me is envious or I don't know if that's the right word or jealous or 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 find it compelling that people that have had real Struggles, real trauma, deaths of a child, severe addiction, prison, you know, terrible upbringing, and have sort of looked within and decided to better themselves and to change. You know, if you've hit rock bottom, I think that's a great perspective reset to where you've seen as bad as it can get, and now you sort of better understand how to build a successful life, and hopefully without, you know, and maybe without simply buying into this American dream thing that you have to start and then go to school and, and do all this stuff. Or, or maybe that is what you do, but you do it at an older age with a different perspective. I think something about my experience growing up in a you know middle-class, white, suburban household uh, is probably you know, fairly common. And I think a lot of people can relate. You're struggling in the world. You're finding your identity. You're figuring out who you are. But but within all of that, and maybe you like heavy metal music, or you like to ride BMX bikes, or you like to play on the football team, or you like smoking weed uh, in your Camaro. You know, there's there's lots of there's this 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 life experience youth thing where you should be exploring your world, pushing your boundaries, figuring out who you are, figuring out what you like, experimenting, pushing the boundaries of your comfort zone, staying safe but taking risks, and really. I think your whole life ought to be like that. But what happens is while you're doing those things, you're also being pressured to get good grades, obey the rules, obey the status quo, obey societal norms, look right, you know, attract the right people, get good grades, go to the right college. You know, all of these these two things are sort of enmeshed upon one another. And that's the, the youth is wasted on the young kind of thing because we don't have... The first side of that coin of exploring your likes and your dislikes and figuring out who you are, that's a wonderful thing, but a 16-year-old just really isn't that good at it. If I, at 48, was given carte blanche and an infinite amount of money to explore who I am and gaze at my navel and figure things out, I would have a a plan, and some of it might be self-destructive, but most of it would be honest to goodness, learning, experience, travel. Um, whereas I'm not sure a 16-year-old will make the same sort of decisions. I could be completely wrong about that. My youth is wasted on the young paradigm theory, maybe completely off, but it makes a nice flip side to the retirement is wasted on the old, which I will uh, adhere to. Um, and, of course, both of those situations can be remedied. My point is that currently, in our status quo societal norms, that is the case. You work your whole life for this retirement that, you know, what are you going to do? Go skydiving? And some people do, sure, but that's not the typical norm. You know, I'm talking about the bigger patterns. There are exceptions to all the rules. That's what makes life wonderful. We want to be exceptions to the rules. Maybe this pod, this episode should be called Be an Exception to the Rule, uh, but really the rule that we're talking about is this American dream. So exploratory phase when you're young that is that is squashed by your parents and your grandparents and your brothers and sisters and your soccer coach and your teachers and the police and all of these people forcing you into these these normal normative behaviors that say 
Sure, take a little bit of time, maybe take a whole gap year and explore yourself, but then spend the rest of your life working on your career so that you make enough money, da 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 so that you perform well in the American dream. And God forbid you do something like try to be a musician or a professional athlete or an actor or a writer or one of these things that doesn't have uh, a, a giant payoff at the end. Be a doctor or a lawyer or nowadays an, an IT person, you know, uh, uh, um, yeah, working computers, you know, do something smart so you get a good job. Why are why are the, all the eighteen year olds taking advice from us forty year olds or, or normal a forty year old who is on this path? Um, it's a shame because you know I think there's two types of midlife people that I know, and, and again biased heavily toward white middle class America. But the ones that understand that the rat race is is a mess. You know, and that they've been sold some dream that they never really agreed to, or or were forced to agree to, or were taken advantage of, and somehow got on this path and have come halfway through it and realized they don't want to be on it. There's those people, and then there's some people that are completely still into. I've got the Range Rover. I get a new Range Rover every three years. I am the shit. You know, I have got a wife and two kids. I have got the house. I yeah. I mean, there's 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 certainly people out there who are convinced or believe that the American dream still has value. And and truthfully, that's a lot of the people that I'm surrounded with. I just, that's great. Maybe there are some people that it all works out right. And, you know, they retire at exactly 67 and they they're full of energy and they not, not to knock my own dream, but they buy the sailboat and they ride off into the sunset and they have a wonderful life. Um, I'm sure that happens, but I think those are the exceptions. I think the more normal condition is that people get halfway through, partway through, almost to the end sometimes with this American dream and just go, shit, what did I do? This isn't what I want. That's not what I wanted to spend my time doing. I would rather have been scuba diving. I would have loved to take my kids fishing more. Uh... I don't know. It's just, it's what I see and it's what I experience. Um, And I'm sort of different because I sort of like, you know, I'm like this hybrid where part of me still, still believes in that youthful naivety of, of just living an enlightened life. And then the other side is completely the opposite where I'm, I'm completely um, abandoned my own dreams to build this, this, this life that I have and and dedicate time for my kids or whatever and, and make the sacrifices. I guess that's the point, you know, you go from like this budding full of energy, you know, uh, curious sponge to sort of just, um, doing what you got to do to get to retirement. It's like all of a sudden you've got this first period of your life, uh, and then this middle period of your life. And then this third period of your life. I, I think that's a pretty, you know, youth, middle age, uh, retirement age or older. And I love the youthful age, especially before like five, because we're, that's the minimal amount of influence we're going to have from society and our peers with respect to this, um, American dream brainwashing, you know, stuff. Uh, certainly you can't just you know, leave a kid we need to learn things from our peers and teachers. I, I that, yes, but I just wish the paths that we were encouraged to take were not so narrow. Uh, that's my this this American dream is a very narrow path. I just think the path can be much broader. Maybe you have you're a man and you have a husband on this American dream. God, oh yeah, that's different. That's not part of the plan. 
you know, maybe some people are becoming a little bit more open-minded, but certainly the American dream of the 60s or 50s did not include <laughs> gay, lesbian, alternative lifestyle relationships, right? I mean, so broaden the path. Some parents are great. They encourage their kids to be the artist and the painter and the writer and, and, and send them off to special schools in New York and work really hard to pay their tuition or whatever. And those things are, are wonderful. And some people, you know, gaze at their navels until they're 40 and realize I haven't worked a day in my life and now I got nothing to show for it and nobody wants me because I'm a lazy slacker. You know, so there's there's plenty of, of those stories. And, and I guess my my concern and my point is, you know, there's not one way to win this game. In fact, the one way that everybody thinks is right, the rat race, you know, see episode, whichever episode that was, uh, in this podcast, um, it ain't all what it's cracked up to be. We're pretty much wrong about that. You know, it's like, it's easy for me to tell people, you know, you really need to buy a Tesla because it is the best automobile made. But I don't own a Tesla. I just read about it, and that's what everybody says is true, and so I'm going to tell you the same thing. That doesn't make any sense. You know, I, I, I would rather hear from somebody that has direct experience with something, tell me their opinions, and allow me to sort of weigh the pros and cons and put that opinion, you know, in the context of what that really means. Give me advice, but don't tell me this is the truth. And I, what I think more often what people do is they... Buy into this American dream. Maybe they haven't achieved it, and then you teach your kids or the next generation, you need to do this because it's what I want to do. It's sort of like living out your you know, sports dreams through your kids on the soccer field or the t-ball field. You know, I want this, and I'm going to make sure that you get this. That's, that's, that's absurd. That element of this American dream thing is absurd. Don't sell me your dream. Provide me a nurturing community where you're allowed, I'm allowed to have my own dream, and you are just as enthusiastic about that, or maybe slightly less, than you are about your own. Or maybe a different type of enthusiasm. You know, allow allow other people to develop their own paths. And this goes back to that connectedness and, and diversity thing where that's gonna where we're not gonna just be carbon copies of each other. Uh, we're going to be this blossoming, diverse, you know, n- new emergent uh, ideas and concepts and behaviors. You know, that, that's the world we want to live in. Why do we think that we, we want everybody to be just like what we wanted to be like? <laughs> you know, and sometimes maybe our failures that we perceive as failures or deviations from this American dream, maybe that's actually what makes us neat, unique, um, um, valuable. And yet here we are saying, don't do what I did. You know, um, I I have trouble with that with my own kids. It's sort of like I've lived this fairly non-linear approach where I kind of had the American dream job and quit to stay at home with my kids and have a different experience. And I would never tell someone point blank, don't stay home with your kids. Um, now I would, talk about my struggles and the, the pros and cons and my real experience and with the good parts and the bad parts. And then you'll make a decision for your, your own self about whether or not that's something that's right for you. I, you know, I wish I would have had that. I wish I would have had, you know, people to mirror off of to say, well, you, you know, you're a, 
you're a 30-year-old man that was on the tenure track that had a professor job and we were making it big and you decided to stay home with your kids. Tell me about that. I didn't have that person. Those people were few uh, still, even today. That's not like a common thing uh, that's easy for the, to do. you know. And, and, that's, and that's part of the issue with choosing your own path and picking your own dream is it's not the status quo and there's going to be fewer people that you can sort of emulate or, or, or uh, commiserate with or sort of that can collaborate with. And maybe that's a big part of it is finding your own community. Um, you know, I, I just think um, there was a period of my life and my youth that I had sort of figured everything out. And I, and I, and I look back on that, well, figured everything out. I was very content with who I was in the context of my age. I was about 20 to 22 where I had sort of was overcoming some of my struggles from adolescence of being kind of weird. I'd found my people, you know, I had a good networking community and I, I was able to sort of use the confidence in myself to sort of cast my future and, and my path. And I, you know, fortunately or unfortunately, I let the American dream, mostly, you know, the, my, the people at, uh, my teachers in college, my advisor, you know, the, the pressures of the modern world and, and my parents sort of stifle that part of me. And I, I did, wasn't strong enough to sort of let that person decide for me. And I, you know, and I, and I let that, that American dream voice, um, sort of choose what I did with my future. And, you know, I ended up picking a major that I, maybe I shouldn't have. Maybe I should have stuck with what I wanted to do. But the point is I was in a space where I was aware. I was hyper aware of who I was. I knew what I wanted and I didn't, I didn't go for it. No regrets. Everything works out the way it works out. But I think that's something that happened, can happen to people. You know, you have to, you have to, you have to, it's, it's like a, my wife is doing a, <clears throat> a life coaching sort of thing, and we talk about this all the time, about writing out your values and writing out what it is that you want and actually being explicit about things so that you can decide what to do and make goals. The analysis paralysis episode talks about some of these things. That's an important exercise to go through. Um, and I think before, until you've done that, until you've verbalized sort of pseudo concrete or measurable, like smart goals and, um, you know, characteristics of your personality, it's really hard to just sort of decide what to do next, uh, because there's no context. And so without that, without that, and that's what I was doing. I think I was in that period where I was deciding those things for myself. And rather than fill in the blanks on my own, I sort of, you know, my fear of the future got the best of me. And then I sort of just sort of accepted the conventional wisdom of get a job, you know, get paid, put that in a retirement count. And so maybe after you do whatever you're going to do for 30 years, then you'd be happy or then you'll have your time or you would have bought your, you know, your golden ticket or whatever it is. You know, I just, I didn't understand. I didn't have anyone. I didn't have well, I, I'm not feeling sorry for myself. It's just I'm trying to think about what would have made that different. You know, I think having a community of influences, peers, parents, you know, authority figures who were more diverse and less, you know, narrow vision, American dream driven, you know, you get a lot of different input, you get a lot of different feedback, you get a lot of different alternatives. You know, here's how I became a successful writer. Yeah, it wasn't great. Yeah, I got a lot of negativity from, um, 
the conformists of the world, but this is how I did it. You know, that, that community is, is not as well represented, let's say, you know, it's a, it's an alternative lifestyle. And, you know, I guess the, the, un, the unfortunate thing there is that, you know, I'm complaining or whining or moaning about not having enough of those people in my life. Uh, but then there's just not that many of those people in the world. And if you grow up in a small conservative town in rural America, uh, the dream bigger episode. I mean, all this is like is, is, is all tied into the same thing. Um, you just don't have those same influences. So a diversity of influences, um, I think, is a benefit. Being able to expose yourself or for parents or for, you know, the community at large, the influential community, the authority figures, the teachers. Part of our job ought to be showing the next generation that there are lots of choices and that there are pros and cons. And sure, there's a, there's a, and and that we're all afraid and worried and concerned for your own future and we want you to have the best things and all we really know is this normal thing that you do where you get a job and you make money that's all that's all we got you know but 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 we sell ourselves as influences as knowing what we're talking about and and so there's another step one step one we ought to put more diversity of options and choices um with how to live your life into the world rather than you know um um, perpetuating the myth of the American dream, the lie uh, straight up of the American dream. That's number one. And, and, and number two, sort of um, reduce the, 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 the fear of the unknown uh, that we have and accept that if we really love somebody, if we really believe in us as a species, if we really examine our experiences, we'll see that this this fear of failure that that drives this perpetuation of the status quo is is not as severe as we think it is. You know, it's like it's a common example. So I'm naive Pollyanna Shippy. I just always believe that I wasn't going to need as much money as the the American dream people were supposed to were making me believe that I needed. You know, I didn't start a retirement count early. I I, I wasn't working. You know, I didn't have um, a 401k. I didn't have a savings account. I didn't I didn't have concern. My fear for not having any money when I was 70 or being destined or whatever people are afraid of just wasn't that big. And that could be completely idiotic and naive. I'm not saying it isn't. I'm just saying that's how I was. So I just wasn't concerned about how much money I made and whether I was able to save it. My concern was that I wanted my kids to have the things that their peers had so that they didn't have this otherness that I had growing up. And as long as I could do that, so we could go out to eat sometimes, they could get their phone, you know, that was good enough or whatever. They had cable TV so they could talk about stuff, of course, or Netflix or whatever, you know, that they they didn't have these like drastic, um, different sort of household. And maybe that was completely erroneous, but, but that was my concern for money. And if I had enough money to do that, beyond that, all we really needed was food and shelter. And I could live in kind of a dumpy place and, and live, you know, have a car that was 10 years old, whatever. I mean, I wasn't, I was still middle-class, you know, I, I wasn't, I wasn't destitute. I wasn't suffering, you know, but I didn't have this plan for the future, or certainly to, to pay for their college or anything like that, we had enough money to get our basic needs met. They could have the little fun things they wanted to have, and we could probably go on a vacation a week out of the year. 
That's when I was single, divorced dad. And I thought that was doing pretty good. And I worked a job that I hated in order to have that money. Um, But I was willing to do that because it all made sense. Now, I wasn't doing a whole lot of stuff for myself. Uh, but you know, I wasn't suffering either. During that time I bought a house, you know, I had enough money to pay for a down payment on a small house, a modest house that I still own and rent and a motorcycle that I've since sold. And you know, it wasn't, it wasn't a terrible thing, but I certainly was not putting away whatever percentage of my income every month for savings or retirement. And I wasn't too worried about it. Oh, it's only when other people, you know, got me worried about it that I didn't think about it. And my brother is uh, sixty years old, and he's kind of the same way. He's he's got enough money. He's not. He's, he he can't quit his job today and ha- spend five thousand dollars a month for the rest of his life for forty years. Of course, he doesn't have that much money, but he'll figure it out. He's already thinking about a plan to spend less and work less and be kind of commensurate. So so when I came into my second my second marriage, now my wife is a doctor and I don't have any money problems anymore. But it's not like it changed me. I still live the same way. We get to do more things. I have a fairly new minivan that was $20,000 and it's more reliable than the $8,000 car I used to have. Um I sold my motorcycle. I I have enough money from working part-time to be able to buy well, one of my daughters, uh, a used car for, for that she can drive around. We go on vacations. Um, I definitely have more than I used to have, but sec- secondarily or tertiarily, we address these retirement issues pretty constantly. It weighs heavy on my wife's heart. Our, we, we've paid off our mortgage. I mean, we just we we have a different lifestyle, but. That's not true. We have a similar lifestyle than I used to have, but we just don't have the concerns. And so that's awesome, right? I don't have, well, I didn't really have it before, but I don't, I don't have the justification for fears. Now, what's weird about it is my wife, having a lot more than I did when I was single, my wife still has a strong, strong concern for our future. And... F- you know, this is changing because we're discussing a, a plan where she can um, leave the rat race, develop a, a new American dream where we sort of live on less and commit to a lifestyle of spending less money but having more experiences. And you've probably heard me say this before, that the sort of fantasy, and I, and I think this is literal, is to live on a sailboat. And be able to see parts of the world uh, without having to pay to fly there, with using, you know, using mostly the power of the wind to get there. Now, that's a stupid, expensive habit, hobby, lifestyle, whatever. Um, but if you compare sort of what we have now or what the American dream will buy you, it's actually probably less expensive. Uh, but anyway, there's there's a whole philosophical approach to, to the future that goes along with that, that I think we have to seriously change our mindset. And most of that involves letting go of all the shit we've been taught. One of those things is fear of retirement. Um, well, that that's pretty much what assures that we're going to do all the working, right? Is being scared to death that we're going to be 80 and have all these health problems that we can't pay for or not be able to eat or, or whatever it is. Um, and the, and I don't I don't want to like pr- push on the absurdity of that <laughs> issue, but my parents are in their early eighties, and 
my dad did well with the whole pension thing. So they got more money than they could possibly spend to the point where they are required to take money out of their retirements because the retirement accounts are like, y'all need to spend this stuff until you can pay taxes on it. Uh, or you're going to die, and it's just going to be sitting here, and we will have gotten nothing out of this. So they're forced to take money out of the bank to the point where, you know, cash is literally piling up in places in the house where they just put it because they don't, can't spend it. So their error was they weren't they didn't want to spend any money. Now, that's a tragedy. You know, maybe there's an 80-year-old person out there who's taken all that money from their retirement fund and flying around the world or sailing around the world or going to see elephants in elephants in Alaska, you know what I mean, doing all these crazy things. But what I see are retired people that don't really want to do anything. And maybe that's a whole philosophical thing. I would argue one possibility is the damn rat race sucked all their ambition out of them. And by the time they got old enough to enjoy it, they didn't care anymore. All right, so there's there's the retirement is wasted on the old argument. Maybe that's not true. Maybe we just get older and, you know, we don't want to walk around. I don't want to fly on a plane for eight hours. I'm tired. My bones hurt. I just want to sit in a chair and read, you know, or expand my mind or or philosophize or have a podcast. You know, I don't know, but I don't see in my my life a lot of people over 70 that have a whole lot of curiosity and ambition anymore. Now, I hope to God I'm not like that. But I may very well be. And so at that point, what good is a million dollars going to do you anyway? You don't have the ambition to spend it. You've, you're over it. You know, so again, we're like, we're stealing from Paul to pay Peter or, or whatever the, the phrase is. Um, so why not enjoy some of that now? And I think a lot of that goes back to my wife and I. Have a more, what's a more realistic expectation about what we need in retirement? You know, I, I keep hearing the voice of my major professor who people, you know, when college professors, especially the ones that were hired in the big hiring wave in the 70s, you know, when, when I was in graduate school, people were like, this is great for you because all these people who literally were hired in 1972 or three, they're going to end their careers right when you're going to finish your PhD. So they're going to retire. Those positions are going to come open. You know, you, you, you will groom you for one of these things. Well, what happened was all those 62-year-old men didn't know what the fuck they were going to do with their lives if they quit doing what they were doing because they were completely defined by what they'd been doing for the last 35 years. They didn't have anything besides that. Some of them, one or two of them, immediately they're like, I'm gone. And they went and did their woodworking projects or they got their little farm or whatever it was that they did. And that's, that's awesome. That's the real American dream. I bought myself some time to do some cool stuff. I happen to have some hobbies. I have enough health to do my hobbies. And I got enough money to do it. Awesome. I'm going to leave. For the most part, what I saw was a bunch of old white men scared to death to go home and have to talk to their wives wives, or figure out what the hell to do with their eight hours a day besides take a nap and eat Cheetos on the couch. No offense, Dad. I don't think my dad eats Cheetos, but he loves the chair and the TV. Um, And to the point where my major professor used to say, they're going to have to drag me out in a box. And he literally meant he would die at his desk. And I, and I don't think that's, be, you know, a lot of them would tell me, well, I just can't afford to retire. I'm going to work a few more years. Bullshit. You know, these guys are making $100,000 a year for, a lot, for, 30, for at least 10 or 15 of those years. They got plenty of money. 
You know, sure, they all got a big house. Now, most of them live pretty modestly. They got a whole lot of money somewhere. Uh, plenty of money, in my opinion, to retire and live on, like, you know, they own their house, right? You own your car. How much money? You, what do you need? Food? They don't, you don't even need that much when you're old. They're wrong. <laughs> you know, what we think retirement is going to be is wrong. And, and that, this goes back to what I mean by that. So my wife and I, when I, you know, can't come into this marriage and I was quickly brought up to speed on all the things that I need to do, like putting $5,000 a year in a Roth IRA, where the hell am I going to get $5,000 a year? So it became, you know, my mantra to be like, whatever little bit I earn, I got to make sure I got $5,000 because my wife wants me to put this in a retirement account. You know, I I did that. Um, I was really lucky. Um, the only thing I really asked for in my first divorce, uh, because I, we had agreed for me to stay home and be a stay at home dad. I didn't have any retirement. I thought that I would be entitled to an equitable division of resources. One of which really the only one was my ex-wife's 401k. I was lucky. I got half of that. It really wasn't that much, um, but it was enough to, to give me something to where I have a couple hundred thousand dollars in retirement accounts. But if by any measure of the American dream, that's not enough for me to retire at 60 to live to 61. You know, it's not enough money. Any of the calculators you do, if I put it in there, I still got to work till I'm like 78, you know, um, making 30, 40, 50, $60,000 a year to have a chance of surviving to be like a hundred or whatever. Okay. And so, you know, my wife has um, some goals for our retirement. I had to bring me up to speed, and I had to, you know, change my behavior a little bit and change my, you know, thoughts about money because we're a team now, and I'm going to do whatever. But you know, as she's pulling me up to this uh, standard of an American dream, where we're pulling, you know, we have something like I don't remember. We need like two or three million dollars, you know, in the bank by the time I'm like 70 something and already retired and she works until she's 67 or whatever, then we can not be afraid that we're going to, I always say, you know, naked in the street, destitute, you know, eating some gum off of somebody's shoe because we don't have any money. Um, you know, is that, is that what people picture? You know, I don't know. Uh, and so I've been, she's been talking me up. Okay. I get it. Okay. We really, you know, got to prioritize chunking money in and thank God she makes good money because it's going to make that a whole lot easier because it's hard to save $50,000 a year when you only make 40. <laughs> uh, that's the story of my life pre second marriage. Um, even my first marriage, you know, my first wife was a pharmacist. She made pretty good money, but we didn't have shit to show for it, um, except for, you know, a small retirement account. Uh, we still, we all do, you know, waste the crap out of money. And so one of my solutions early on was just be frugal as crap. And, and I say that, but I'm still a terrible budget. You know, I always said, I'm going to buy whatever groceries I want for the kids. Um, kind of wasteful on that. And I still buy soda, you know, for God's sakes. Um, and then the rest of the stuff, I'd just be really careful and frugal about. I'm, I'm a reuser. You know, I hate buying new stuff. Um, I'm, I like to repurpose stuff. I've got a $8,000 lawnmower that I got for free because it was like eight years old. And I guess I've put 500 bucks into it, whatever. You know, that's just how I do things. I do have a nice mandolin. I used to have a motorcycle, but I sold it. And I have some nice things. But 
um, part of my strategy has just been want less <laughs> or make do with less. I don't know that I actually want less. I'd love to have an $80,000 Porsche to drive around, you know, once a month, like a lot of people have, but I'm not going to do that because <laughs> it just doesn't make any sense. I would rather take that money and invest it in the future. And that's sort of where we're at, but going back to the whole retirement account. So she's bringing me up to where, okay, we got to save some money and we need to have some money because someday we're going to not be working and we won't have this big income anymore. But I've also been able to bring her down and sort of say, what are we really going to be doing when we're 65? You know, are we going to have a huge house? Um, are we going to have, um, you know, champagne dr- dreams and caviar wishes? Are we going to be eating lobster every night? I mean, what isn't our, aren't all of our bills going to go down? So if we're basing our behavior at 65, 60, 70, 80 on our behavior with no kids, on our status quo behavior at 30 and 40-something, you know, 38, 39 and 48, and a four-year-old and eight and four kids, um, I, I think that's that's erroneous. <laughs> that's bad math. Um Sure, that'd be cool. You might as well like overestimate. And I think that's something we've kind of done is go, well, if we make $100,000 a year now, maybe, and this is what the calculators will tell you, you better, you better make 70 or 80 when you're retired because you're going to need it. Where does it go now? I mean, but in, 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 and then secondarily, we've sort of been on this idea like, well... The idea of investments in a retirement account is that you're earning money passively on your money. You're using your money to make money. Rich Dad, Poor Dad, if you guys haven't read that, um, it's a wonderful book. Robert, his last name starts with a K, Japanese guy. Um, you know, it will change your uh, relationship to money if you've never read it. It's called Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Bestseller, you'll find it. Um, the difference between being rich and being wealthy. Um, what was my point with that? I mean, we, 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 we will spend less in the future than we do now. Um, and so our idea of, but I guess we could, if we made the same amount of money we had now, then we'd be, um, we'd be safe, right? At least, at least that would be safe. I don't know how much I'm going to need. And so let's just say, let's maintain what we have. So if you wanted to maintain that hundred thousand dollar a year salary and not work, then you're gonna, you know, let's let's say for 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 uh, grins, you make ten percent on your investments. Then you're gonna have to have a hundred a million dollars in the bank to get a hundred thousand dollars of passive income out of that. Now, what I've seen from the sailing community and from from millennials, you know, it's interesting. I didn't really mention this, but a lot of the youth of today, that I would argue, maybe youth isn't wasted on the young because a lot of these millennials and Gen Zs and whatever they are. I think they're thinking about this stuff. I think they're calling us on our bullshit and going, your dream sucks. You know, I'm going to figure out a different dream. And of course, this, the subscribers to the rat race status quo go, oh, you're not going to make it. Oh, you're going to be so sad and destitute. Oh, you don't know. You don't have a savings account. You're not going to buy a house. Right? I mean... And which I guess is normal. It's like, don't listen to Elvis. He's satanic. You know, what is the, what does this generation know about the next one? The ones, you know, coming after it. 
Not a lot. But, you know, part of me says millennials are, you know, got a lot of problems too. But I love this idea that they're 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 not subscribing to the status quo American dream narrow linear path. They're coming up with their own new ways. And there will be some suffering associated with that. There always is. Uh, but maybe they will emerge f- having figured this out, um, finding happiness earlier, not, you know, um, spending 30 years of their lives working for the future. Um, you know, that that's what I think more of, of what we want. And I see some of that in younger people today. I see some of that um, reworking of the way, um, uh, the way to do things. And that is so encouraging. Uh, and, and, and that's sort of where my wife and I are at right now. It's like, this isn't working. Okay, what's not working? Well, I don't really think, you know, working this hard, this much to make the money now to have it for later is the way I want to do things. I want to do things now. Um, and maybe there's a compromise that we can make between what we plan for the future. And so, again, some of the Gen Zers and um, the young people and people in the sailing community, they, they have this idea of passive income. Uh, writing an ebook that you have on Amazon that pays you a dividend every month. Um, doing, doing work that you can do remotely for odd jobs like, what is that called? Like the... Uh, Oh, like Fiverr, you know, this, the gig industry, you know, so driving Uber for a couple of weeks and having some of that money and saving and doing these things so you can take, you know, having a job that where you can take time off doing a series of small things, you know, working three months out of the year so that you can go snowboarding in the Alps for nine months out of the year or, or whatever, you know, and making these compromises now so that you don't delay the gratification. And I'm not talking, this. that's not the same thing as instant gratification. This is a good hybrid because I think what we were afraid of, you know, the 60s really screwed us up because coming out of World War II, we go work hard, make a lot of money so that you retire and you're healthy and you're safe. And then the 60s came along and went, fuck that, we're going to party all of it right now. And I was like, okay, that's too much. You can't, you know, there's two ends of the spectrum, right? You know, put it all in the, the basket for the future, and you may not even live to spend it versus I'm spending it all now because I don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. You know, this middle ground Goldilocksian hybrid thing where you spend a little, live a little, that's probably more like, you know, something that suits me better. And, and, and really, I'm 48 and I feel this every day where it's like I've already done this. And, and one thing I would, you know, this is kind of a weird tangent and uh, that I think about sometimes is, you know, I have made the sacrifice for my kids. I have not done a lot of things. I didn't pursue a career, for example. I sold my motorcycle back. I don't, you know, take, I don't play in a gigging traveling band because I want to be around my kids while they're young because I think that's a wise investment. It may not be. (laughs) I may have made a super crazy mistake and sort of like, you know, traded in my 30s to be a dad, but you know, at the end of the day, I'm going to be okay with that. But but one could make the same arguments that I'm making uh, about the American dream with my own personal lifestyle. It's going to do that for everybody, but not everybody's doing what I did, and so it's not, it doesn't have the same power over the young people. You know, nobody's going to go, "Wow, I guess I got to get a job and then quit and raise my kids and not do anything." That's <laughs> it's not the. I'm not trying to sell anybody on that. Um, and and the last thing I guess I'll say about all of this is, you know, I, I've always sort of, uh, and, and this comes from reading Carlos Castaneda about the Toltecs the, the, and the concept of death as an advisor, you know, 
And for me, I can't, I don't really think about every, any day, like I could get killed in a car accident and this all be over. I do have that thought every once in a while, sort of like why save everything for the future and not live today when I might not make it past today. I, I, I say that every now and then, but it's not, you know, I'm not driven by that thought or that fear. Um, but what the Toltecs would say is to use your death as an advisor to say, you know, that could happen. But one thing that I do do is I think about what I'll, you know, and this goes back to what I said before about writing a list of your values and the tenets by which you want to live so that you can always check what you're doing against those things. And does this, does working 80 hours a week and not getting to see your kids agree with your tenant that says, I value my relationships with my family? Probably not. (laughs) Um, So maybe you ought to change that. But that is what would I think about this decision or my life on my deathbed when I know if I'm lucky enough or unlucky enough to know that I'm going to die soon and I think back on what I've accomplished and how I've lived and what I've done, which column will I put these things in? The I'm glad I did that or I should have done more of that. That is something that I use as an advisor on almost a daily basis. And so as I push 50, I've become more, even more aware of that. And so there are things in my life that I want to change. And God damn it, if the American dream doesn't really get in the way of all that shit. <laughs> and there, there are people out like, for example, and there are people out there who have figured workarounds out to this. And I was just unable to figure out the workaround. I'm not saying I'm better or good or expert. And actually, I'm, what I'm claiming is that I'm just not really good about dealing with plan B. You know, I know I don't want to do the American dream thing, and and I see other people who have made it work for them, and I'm incredibly jealous because I was unable to do that. I'm like an all or none type of person. I wasn't able to to fit myself into that regime. Like for example, I have a lot of male friends that I don't spend very much time with. Who maybe it's because they all have sons, but they all have organized their lives so that they have overlapping activities with one another. They all live in the same neighborhood. They have the same work schedules. Their sons play soccer together. You know, their wives are friends. So it, it, they have construct and they all, you know, they all have the same nine to five sort of work deal and the same responsibilities, but they've all made it work out to where they end up spending a lot of time together because they have this like common lifestyle. And maybe that's just a side benefit of subscribing to the same narrow approach to life. Or maybe it's a brilliant way of getting it all at once. You know, they, they get there because that's one of the things that I think I'll regret on my deathbed is I didn't spend enough time with my male friends and something I really like to figure out how to do more of. And then I look at some of my male friends who are, are on this American dream path and they're able to do that. And so I, I have to, I have to um, concede that they've actually got this thing figured out a lot better than I do. Now, maybe their way doesn't work with my way, or maybe I'm just being stubborn. I don't know. But that's a, that's an example about how there are workarounds, there are compromises, there are ways to sort of game the American dream system and still sort of have it, right? Uh, whereas I tend to see things as a little bit more separate and I want to go all in on something completely different rather than sort of continue to subscribe and then peel off time as I'm able to do it. Cause I'm just not as good at doing that. That's a completely viable way that somebody else could talk about that I, that I can't because I suck at it, but that's a, 
that's really helpful for me um, because I, I wanted to sort of formalize this idea a little bit and I didn't realize that it was going to draw on so many common themes from so many of the podcasts that I've already done. Uh, but the idea of having your own dream and being able to figure that out in spite of the encouragement against that and in spite of working within a system that encourages the opposite of that, you know, I think is something that's common with a lot of people. I think the younger generation is actually getting better at it. The older generation regrets not having done it. And the people in the middle have an opportunity to change. And what I've accepted in the last six months to a year is that you can change midstream and that time is definitely more limited than you think. And I think you have to be realistic, question authority about what you're told um, you need with respect to what you should be doing with your time and certainly with respect to how much money you're going to need when you retire. And um, yeah, I think it's exciting and I want to connect with people who, who have done, who have lived outside the box and especially those who, who tried the, the American dream and decided that it was bad or not for them and they wanted to change it and then have, have pivoted into something else, that, that, that's exciting to me. I think that's thrilling. And there's tons of people uh, out there doing it. Uh, my wife's part of many doctor groups who are full of doctors that are burnt out and are pivoting and figuring out a different way to live. And there are, you know, I follow the sailing community and there are plenty of people out there spending their time on sailboats that had the same exact uh, problem. Um, it's like we all overdid the work thing and have realized that the money and the things that that brings aren't necessarily um, meeting these other needs and these other needs that we have for life and adventure and um, time may be also important and worth pursuing. Now, we could be completely wrong. You may end up with all <clears throat> all this time and joy and stuff and realize that it sucks and I have money. I don't know. <clears throat> but there's a lot of people sort of in this same boat right now doing exciting things. And if you're one of those people, please reach out. Let me know if you, if you, if you enjoy listening to this podcast, give me a subscribe or a like or something just to let me know that you're out there. Uh, and I appreciate all of you, uh, for bringing your curiosity and spending your time with me. And I'll, uh, look forward to seeing you next time. This has been knowledge plus experience equals wisdom. Episode 27, the new American dream figured out. Thanks guys.